The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. John 12, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 11. This 12th chapter marks a major transition in John's gospel, beginning Jesus' final week, which concludes at the cross. Almost half of John's gospel focuses on this week. And this morning's text occurs on what some many think would be a Saturday. Saturday as Jesus dines with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And um, let's pray. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, thank you for uh, inviting presence this morning. Uh, what a joy, what a privilege to, to be with you, to have the opportunity to sing together, to sing and express how great you are, how awesome you are, how good you have been and are continuing to be toward us, your promises to us. Lord, uh, what a blessing to be here. Bless this time, the rest of our time together as we look at your word. Thank you for your word, how precious it is, how precious this, this um, event that we're going to consider this morning, that we get a, a peek into something so intimate and precious as this. So bless, open our eyes that we might see how wonderful your son Jesus is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but... Because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it, into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. Again, what a, what a privilege to be given access into this intimate, private, beautiful gathering of friends where we see great devotion to Jesus. Devotion. 
devotion that is modeled for us, devotion that is challenged and threatened, and then devotion that we see rewarded. When you hear this word devotion, what comes to mind? Is it a puppy? Is it a book filled with daily readings? Certainly as a Christian, there is a connection to books for setting aside a time each day to read and pray. And hopefully, it's not a checklist item that you simply do, but instead that it is or becomes a time where you, where you know the presence of Christ, where you spend time with Him in His Word and pray. Devotion. A simple dictionary definition says that it, it, its meaning is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person or activity or cause. Or that devotion is a religious worship observance, including prayers. So let's consider the devotion, the love and loyalty that we see with these friends of Jesus. And at what cost? And with what reward? We remember what just happened. That Jesus let his friend Lazarus die. And from this event, we see that Jesus' motive was love. To give them the greatest possible gift in showing them his glory. And the fruit of this love was greater devotion to what ultimately matters, which is Jesus. So with the threat of arrest, Jesus goes to Ephraim and stayed with his disciples. And this also was a threat to the people. As the chief priests and Pharisees, they gave orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they should inform them because they wanted to arrest him. And we know ultimately wanted to kill him. So chapter 12 begins with Jesus returning to the scene. Back and in Bethany where Lazarus was. And what we see here is a, a precious example of devotion, love, loyalty, actions, even, even worship that's centered on the person of Jesus. There's something very special, isn't there, when you have people over to your home and you sit around a table and you eat and drink together and the conversations that take place? Don't you wish you could have been there for this one? What, what were some of the things that were said? Were they recounting their, their fear, their frustration? Jesus, yeah, we were, we were confused. We know that you, that you love Lazarus, but wow. And then maybe once again ask, forgive us for doubting you, Jesus. Did they express thankfulness? Did Jesus reaffirm forgiveness? And don't you think that one day, you know, their reaction was likely also you know, on this side of it, one of thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for actually doing what you did. If, if, 
if you hadn't let Lazarus die, we wouldn't have seen what we saw. We wouldn't have seen your glory and how, oh, what a wonderful day that was. How incredible that was. And don't you think that we will say similar things one day? Lord, thank you for that really hard time in my life. I see now your glory, how good you were to let that happen. We don't know what all of the conversations were, but we know that these were great friends, and we see their response to Jesus. We see their examples of devotion. We see Martha. Once again, Martha, there she is serving. But this time it doesn't appear with any frustration or complaining. No, her service is a beautiful offering of devotion. She loves Jesus. She wants to prepare and serve something that everyone will enjoy. She wants to show her love for him. She's wired for service. And many of you understand this. You're wired just to get in there and do. And yet her transformation, her attitude makes all of the difference with this devotion in her service, doesn't it? Yes, the focus of devotion here is is primarily on Mary, but Martha's there. She's offering what she has, and it's noted in our text as well. Be devoted to God in your service. Let it be an act of loving worship. And we see Lazarus. There he is, sitting at Jesus' side. Lazarus. Maybe this unwilling and certainly unknowing object lesson. But now his mere presence is a witness to Jesus and his saving power. That Lazarus sitting there next to Jesus. The text says that people want to come and see Lazarus. That he is a witness to the power and glory of Jesus. He is an example of devotion. So don't underestimate your ongoing faith in times of great suffering. Don't don't think of your continued love and devotion to God through the pain as a small thing. It's a powerful witness to the greatness of Jesus and how you value Him more than your comfort. So we see Martha's gift of service and Lazarus's ongoing dedication to the one who let him die. But really, what stands out to us in this text is Mary's loving devotion. There are four things, four features of Mary's devotion that I'd like to point out. First, something that we might miss, but it's definitely a feature is that this is courageous. Not just for Mary, but for all of them. Courageous, courageous along the lines of Christians who hid Jews from the Nazis. Let's remember what these religious leaders ultimately did. Let's remember what they were plotting and that they warned or threatened the people to let them know where Jesus was, that they might arrest him. Let's remember that they're plotting to kill Lazarus. So not only did they not cooperate, 
but they actually host a dinner party. And in doing so, they're in danger as accessories. This was a real threat, a matter of life and death, because we're told that Lazarus's mere existence made him an accessory, a living witness, evidence to the glory and power of Jesus. And so they also talked about killing him. What about us? I don't want to create or encourage fear. I don't want to overstate and compare our situation to, to real and actual persecution of the church that's going on in other parts of the world. But shouldn't we have some sense of, of readiness? Who would have thought that in the United States of America, a country where many risked their lives to come in the name of religious freedom, that we would wonder, that we would just wonder about our ability to assemble and freely worship. Who would have thought? So who knows what the future will be? We've seen it in other parts of the world. Why not us? And the reason I bring it up is to say that courage will not just be there with a, without having a strong conviction. If we're not devoted to Christ and His church, if we don't value Him way more than our own safety or reputation, then we shouldn't assume that we'd respond like these courageous Christians did. May God spare us from such things. But if we are more devoted to our comforts right now, if we can't even prioritize a daily time with Jesus or our involvement with his church, then we shouldn't assume that we'd have devotion that responds to danger. We must be intentional. We must prioritize a time spent devotion to the person of Jesus. It didn't just happen for them. The goal, again, and the goal in saying this, it's not simply that we'll be courageous. The goal is valuing Christ, being devoted to Him at any cost. A second feature of Mary's devotion is that it was costly. Wow. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard to anoint Jesus. And Judas tells us it's worth 300 denarii, which is roughly a year's wages. So tax time's coming. You're preparing. When you look at that W-2, box one, think of Mary. If you're a part-time worker, you know, double, triple it. It's a lot of money. Very expensive. High quality oil. And because of this, some assume that, that Mary and her siblings were wealthy. And if this is the case, then it sets a good example for those who make a healthy income. Because one of the dangers of wealth is that it creates an appetite for pleasure and for things that cost a lot of money. And for Mary, there was obviously no competition 
but we really don't know if, if they were wealthy. Maybe it was a family heirloom. Still, costly. But what we do know is that her devotion to Jesus resulted in her joyfully offering something very special, very valuable in order to express her love for Jesus. She gave her very best out of affection and devotion with a desire to bless Jesus. What about us? What is it for us? Do we cling to our financial security and stuff? Do we give what is costly and precious to us? Are we, will, are we maybe unwilling because what we're really devoted to is our standard of living and our, our lifestyle? There are times I don't like preaching because it's challenging to me. I, I like my comfort. This is a real challenge. Do we cling to these things? And please understand that I am speaking to myself as much as anyone. I really, I don't like hearing messages that are guilt trips. And I don't want to give a guilt trip. But I don't know how else to give an application to such a costly gift of devotion. Are these expenses... Are there expenses in our lives that are unnecessary and need to be eliminated? Do we just play around too much, take too many trips? Who knows what it is for you? And maybe it's not financial. Maybe your treasure is your time or your hobbies, and these things are giving in the way of, of service to the church or spending more time with people and ministering to them and sharing the gospel. Okay, I know. Don't blame me. Blame Mary. Why did she have to be so generous? Why did she have to set such a good example for us of devotion to Jesus? So let's pray that the Holy Spirit move us and prompt us and speak to us concerning the things that we're hanging on to. The things that maybe getting in the way of our joyfully giving to Jesus. And maybe it's not money, and maybe it's not time. I read a story of a pastor preaching on this, and they passed the offering trays during this message. Remember those things that we used to do? And people were putting all sorts of things in, you know, jewelry and stuff like that. And um, they mentioned one of the things that really stood out was a note from an elderly woman. And what she said in that note was that she was preventing her daughter, her daughter who longed to go on the mission field. And she was hanging on to her and getting in the way and preventing her from going and serving. And she said, I give that up. I offer that to you. So once again, these responses don't just happen. These responses are a fruit of spending time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, 
in worship, growing in our love and intimate relationship with Him. If we're not doing this, then we shouldn't expect such freedom and such generosity to just naturally pop out of us. Don't assume that one day in the future that you're going to be generous if you're not growing in your love and devotion to Jesus right now, then you're growing more devoted to the things that will prevent you, things that will prevent the kinds of sacrificial, generous acts of worship that you've imagined. A third feature of Mary's devotion was its humility. Okay, let's face it. There's a lot of body odor going on here. Yes, in a hot climate with no indoor plumbing, water being precious, people didn't bathe every day there. And because of this reality, here's what the custom was. When people would come to your home, you know, here, some, sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, relax, take your shoes off. I don't think that would happen. I don't know, maybe they, they did, but... Um, the, the real thought was, here, let me dab a little oil on your face, on your head. And they would use that to perfume because of body odor, practical reasons. This is what a host would do for their guests. Okay, and if you're like me, I know what you're thinking. Why not, you know, put a little there? Why the face? Why not, you know, the feet? And yet... This is what they did. Well, feet, feet were especially disgusting. Feet, well, let's just ask, that's just asking too much, right? To, to mess with someone's feet in that day. Having someone touch your stinky feet. And this was such a th- so much a thing that even slaves of that day, you know, slaves don't have a lot of rights. Well, one right that a slave had in that day was they didn't have to touch people's feet, not even their master's feet. So, so there is Jesus. You know, they had low tables. So he's reclining. He's sitting at the table, legs outstretched. And Mary not only put some oil on his head, but also she touches his feet. And yes... Jesus is God, but he was also a man. And it's not irreverent of me to say his feet probably smelled. So here's Mary doing what even a slave would not do. One commentator wrote that Mary is giving up her rights before the Lord. There's nothing he cannot ask of her. Touching his feet becomes her pledge of unconditional service. Why would she humble herself as really less than a slave? Only because she knew who Jesus actually was. She sat at his feet. She was devoted to him as a disciple. And she witnessed his glory in raising her brother from the dead. So with this knowledge, what an honor What a privilege to serve Jesus and express worship and thanksgiving for all that he had done. 
And like John the Baptist, Mary must have thought, there's nothing too menial. No, instead, what an honor that that he would let me. For I am not worthy to even untie the straps of his sandals. A fourth feature of Mary's devotion is that it was extravagant. Not only did she anoint Jesus' feet, but how shocking it must have been that she wiped his feet with her hair. And this may seem, you know, we read this and think, well, that's just kind of weird. That's kind of odd. Why would, what's the point of that? But unless we know a little bit about the culture, then we miss how scandalous this truly was. In our day, it's, it's not the same. I mean, I'm looking out at you women, and I am not offended by your lack of hat wearing. I'm not offended that your hair is down and not up. But in that culture, a woman going around with her hair down was reason for a man to divorce her. A single woman going around with her hair down could be stoned to death. So this was a scandalous, this was a big deal. In that day, a woman letting down her hair, it expressed intimacy. And openness. It was done in the, only in the privacy of her home with, with close family. So in that day, it really stood out when Mary not only undid her hair, but that she used it to wipe Jesus' feet. It expressed complete surrender. Devotion. Nothing held back. And she was able to do so because she knew that she was completely safe in his holy presence. She saw him as her divine Lord and wanted nothing to stand between her devotion and him. And we think, where does such devotion come from? We read in each gospel that She's sitting at his feet. Her attention was on Jesus, listening to his teaching. And so, if we're able to have such devotion, that we must, we must be disciples who pay close attention to Jesus and learn from him and spend time with him and come to church and dine at his table and grow in our love and affection and devotion for him. But in doing so, we will inevitably face challenges. In this case, here it is, it's Judas. Judas in verses 4 and 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, sounds like a legitimate concern. It's, it's, it's so good of Judas, isn't it, to be thinking of the poor. And yet, we know, as verse 6 tells us, It really was about himself because he was a thief. So two challenges that we need to keep in mind. Valuing the practical or anything more than the the person of Jesus. And being, the second would be being so self-serving. Valuing ourselves more than Jesus. One might say there's 
you know, there's so much work to be done. Why are you spending time in the morning with Jesus? Why are you reading that devotional? Why are you taking time to open God's Word and pray? Get out there and do something. There are people in need. And yes, there are people in need. And we must be about sharing and ministering and meeting the needs of people in Jesus' name. But if our hearts are not continually growing in devotion to Christ as we spend time with Him, then we'll find that our actions are not really a fruit of our love for Him. Many would argue that it's better to do practical good works instead of spending time with your nose in a book or talking to God in prayer. I'm reminded of Martin Luther who would spend two hours each day in prayer and was quoted to have said this on an especially busy day. I have so much business to do today that I shall not be able to get through it with less than three hours of prayer. I have so much to do, I better pray another hour. Whereas our thinking tends to be just the opposite. I got so much going on, I can only pray for three minutes. Or maybe in the car as I'm, as I'm heading off somewhere, I'll pray there. Practic- practicality. Good works and the words of Judas sound right. They sound thoughtful. But what is most valuable? Jesus was certainly compassionate to the poor, but he also understood priorities and what is most important. And so he tells Judas, leave her alone. Leave her alone. You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. In other words, she rightly sees what's coming, Judas. She's preparing me for the cross, for what's ultimate. Her priorities are right. And of course, Judas was self-serving. He didn't care about the poor. He just wanted money, more money to steal. So what are some applications for us? First of all, be careful with practical arguments. You might be quoting Judas. Not a good guy to quote. Be Be careful with practical arguments that put good works before worship and devotion. Yes, we have to do, we have to work, we have to do things, but we must rightly prepare. We must rightly prepare for work by spending time with Jesus. We need right attitudes. We need strong faith. And this can only come about by spending time in God's Word and in prayer. And another application that's on my heart concerns devotion to worship. And being a part of the church. And I say this wanting to be absolutely clear that there are some who are very high risk, who are unable to be here. And we, your church family, need to have compassion and keep in touch and pray and encourage your faith growing in devotion to Jesus. I don't want to put, again, I don't like guilt trips and I don't want people who who must stay home with legitimate health concerns or people who are caring for others. 
I don't want them to feel guilty. And yet, it's so important that we're together. And I was reminded of that just during our time of worship. You know, that doesn't come through by live stream. But being here, it is, it is precious. Here's the real concern. This is not unique to BCC, but something affecting many churches. And it concerns a lack of prioritizing church. A lack of devotion that keeps some from showing up in person to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, decades ago, I remember hearing about Robert Schuller having a creative idea and, and um, setting up in his parking lot a drive-in theater-style church experience where people could just, you know, they could just pull up to church in the p- church parking lot, grab the little speaker, hook it in your hook it on your uh, window, and stay in your car. How convenient. But what does this say about the importance of church and our reverence for God? What does such a casual approach do to the hearts and minds of our people? It makes church about our comforts and practical conveniences and not about reverence and awe and community and dining together at the Lord's table. It's not a merry-like attitude that prioritizes what's best without regard for practicality or comfort. I want you to know that, that live streaming our services is a great blessing and it's a great concern. We avoided doing this for years because of the concern. But because there are several who can't be here, we decided to do it. And honestly, I'm happy that we have this option, and I don't want any who can't be here to feel guilty, but only blessed. But what we must be careful with is the blessed... We must be careful with this blessing because now for, for some who really can be here, now there is this option, this option that appeals to our preferences and our comforts, and now there's an option that tempts us to, to be more devoted to practicality. For some, live streaming is the only option. And an offering of worship and devotion to the Lord just being a part of that. And for others, it's a temptation to choose the option of convenience. And this is, this is not devotion. It's not about practicality. We, we shouldn't say to Mary, it would be like saying to Mary, Mary, you know, don't you have some cheap stuff that'll do the job just as well? Practically speaking, Mary invited Jesus into her home at the risk of her life. And this attitude of the religious leaders wanting to suppress the evidence of Jesus in his followers has continued throughout all of church history. Persecution, martyrs of the faith that continue to this day. People's lives are threatened because they are Christians. Because they so value 
Christian worship, gathering to sing and hear God's word and be with one another. Our times, our times are changing. And we need to be much more devoted to Christ if we're to be anything like Mary or the courageous Christians of the past or today in other parts of the world. And it's, abs- it, it's not about, I don't want to make this about Mary and how unique she is. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and that we, like Mary, need to see how great he is. We need to come together. We need to be devoted to Christ. And in faith, we need to see that in doing so, there's great reward. So I want to just quickly mention some of the rewards that I see here in this text. One is that Mary... She apparently understood what others did not. Mary understood what she was doing with this ointment. That she was preparing Jesus for death. It seems that her great devotion was rewarded with a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of Jesus. Think of it. On another occasion when Jesus mentioned his death to his disciples, what do we see there? A lack of understanding. Peter actually rebuking Jesus saying, this shall never happen to you. And what was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Mary's time spent, an attitude of devotion gave her the, the reward of insight. And understanding, knowing Jesus. Another reward is seen in the experience of Lazarus. Having a bold and confident faith. Lazarus experienced a literal, physical resurrection. So think of how he must have approached death a second time around. And likewise, our perseverance perseverance through suffering brings about a bold confidence of faith. Faith, a devotion to Christ that that works to strengthen our faith and give us a greater confidence and hope for the future. And we read this in Romans 5 that tells us suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. A third reward is the godly change that we see in Martha. Hearing from the Lord, hearing his his correction the first time around when her attitude was wrong. And now she's spent time with him and is devoted to him. And And when we do so, this changes us. And we can see a change in how Martha serves, not complaining, but with an offering of devotion to Jesus. Lastly, and probably the chief reward described in our text is the detail that John gives when after Mary anointed Jesus' feet and washed them with her hair as she's moving about the room, it's written that the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And her devotion to Jesus, it was fragrant. And wherever she went, the aroma of her gift to Jesus was spread. 
What, a, what greater reward could we have than this? Our very existence is for the purpose of glorifying God and that our lives, wherever we go, would be noticed as a fragrant offering to Jesus, a blessing to others. And certainly this is a a great reward. One author summed it up this way, and I'll close with this. If we will see Jesus in his divine glory and grace, if we will break the bottle of our hearts to pour out in devotion to him, then our lives will bear the fragrance of his salvation, spreading gospel mercy wherever we go. There can be no greater reward than to be used in this way to share the glory of Christ in the world, knowing that as we pour out our devotion to him, he will pour out through us the grace of his gospel for the salvation of those we know and love. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are worthy of our greatest devotion, of offerings that are courageous and costly, humble and extravagant. May our lives be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for those who are unable to be here in person, those compromised in health or caring for loved ones. I I pray for their blessing. And I thank you for the technology that enables them to join us here. Make us mindful of each other. Reaching out in Jesus' name. Loving and caring for one another. Encouraging a greater devotion to you in faith for the sake of our joy in Jesus. And the many rewards, Lord, that, and blessings that come to us as we prioritize and treasure our time spent with you. Lord, bless our times of personal devotion. Open our eyes to the truth of your word. Minister to our souls through prayer. And then feed us and nourish us as we gather in corporate worship. Expressing praise. Giving thanks to you. Lord, you are worthy of all honor. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.